you today, you can utilize the pew Bible that's in front of you there. We're going to be reading out of Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Judges chapter 6, verse 11, we read that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Oprah, the oak that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where, he, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I? Save Israel. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is a special ministry for four-year-olds through second graders. And our Kingdom Kids workers will meet them in the foyer. And if this is their first time to participate in Kingdom Kids, parents, you want to accompany them, get them registered, and they can be picked up next door in our education building after the service is complete. Before we dive into Gideon in Judges chapters 6, 7, and 8, uh, just a word here. Uh, Mother's Day, I know, is not always a celebrative day for everyone. Some of you here this morning, you have lost a mother or never had a uh, mother involved in your life and perhaps were raised by other family members. Some of you uh, are without your mother, maybe for the first time. Or maybe some mothers here who have lost uh, a child. Or, or perhaps um, some that would like to be mothers but aren't not mothers yet or perhaps cannot be physically. Can I just say to you that uh, God sees you. He sees you in your, in your pain and God is with you. And I know it's a very celebrative day for many, and as it should be, God has given us a wonderful gift when he gave us the gift of mothers. It is a wonderful, blessed thing, and we do want to celebrate that. We also want to recognize the pain that sometimes comes with days like today. And I just want you to know the Lord sees you. He loves you. He's with you. And there's no burden you carry that you cannot cast on him. As the word of God says, cast your burdens on me, for I care for you. It's a great promise. Let's go to him in prayer now as we transition to this wonderful, challenging story of a judge named Gideon. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the scriptures and how you have spoken to us through them. And as we journey through the Bible together, God, I know that your Holy Spirit is, God, applying the truths that we are discovering in the Bible to our very everyday lives. And we are just grateful for that, God, that you give us the guidance and the assurance that Scripture provides. And you give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to live out, God, what you have instructed us here. And as we consider the life of Gideon, help us to be challenged by that. Help us, Father, to see not just a story that took place a long time ago, but a story that demonstrates your work amongst people like us even today. 
And that through your words and through your message, God, that we might be, uh, Father, pressed into the image of Christ as you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So as many of you know, we are going through the stories of the Old Testament as we read through them together in our annual Bible reading plan. If you want to know more about that Bible reading plan, if you just go to fbckennedy.org slash Bible, the plan is there along with some other helpful things. And you can just pick up where we're at today. It's dated. So you can just pick up today and start reading and get caught up in our plan. And we actually kind of covered most of Gideon last week in our reading. And then we kind of finished it up early in this past week. But there are some significant judges during this period of Israel's history that I think we want to pay attention to. And from the judge whose name is Gideon, I think we have five lessons that we can learn when it comes to being used by God in big or small ways. Now, if I were to ask you individually, do you want to be used by God in your marriage, in your parenting, moms, dads? You want to be used by God in your workplace? Do you want to be used by God in, in, your, in your school, in your classrooms? Do you want to be used by God in your neighborhood? you want to be used by God now that you are retired and you have some free time? you want to be used by God when life is hectic and chaotic and crazy and it seems like you don't have a spare minute to breathe? No matter our circumstance, I think most of us would say, Yes, I want to be used by God. I want to know that God is able to use me in the good times and bad in significant ways and in ways that maybe seem kind of small or minor. In every facet, in every area, in every stage of life, I want to be used by God. Gideon wasn't quite as excited about that. Gideon was a little reluctant to be used by God. Now let's talk a little bit about what's taking place here. Israel has come out of the uh, slavery in Egypt. They've gone through the wandering of, uh, in the wilderness, approaching the promised land that God had uh, given to them through the covenant that he made with Abraham. And now Joshua has led them into the promised land. They're taking hold of what God gave them. And Joshua passes away and they enter into this season where they aren't fully obedient to God. One of the things God said is when you get into this land, you have to drive everybody out. Everybody who's living here now has to go. If you don't drive them out, you're going to begin to worship false gods. Become too much for you. You'll abandon me, the one true God. You'll chase after, after false gods, and it'll be detrimental to your life. So you've got to get these people out of the land that I promised you. Now, if I were to say that or you were to say that, that would seem ludicrous. But when God says it, God owns everything. So if he wants them to be here or, you know, he wants those that are here to go out. It's like when my kids had to switch bedrooms. We decided it was better if the, if the boys, uh, if one of our boys switched rooms with the girls and the girls can have their own bathroom so that they don't have to use the same bathroom as our other boy. You can just imagine what that would be like for those poor ladies. And, you know, there was, there's a bit of chaos in that. We didn't want to do that. We don't want to make that change. Guess what? You don't get a call on that. Mommy and daddy make the call on that, right? You know, it's, God is so much bigger and, and, and higher and, and he calls the shots. And so if he says, I want this land to belong to these people, that's his shot to call, right? And he's doing that not just for them. He's actually going to use Israel to bless the whole world. But he knew that the whole world looks pretty ugly, looks pretty bleak. 
The people who were living in the land of Israel, mind you, were not just worshiping some other false gods that just kind of, you know, made them happy. It was no big deal. No, those false gods did some pretty horrific and terrible things, even to their own children. We've covered that before. And as a way to appease the gods, to get the gods to give them what they wanted or what they needed. They would do terrible, horrific things. And that's not the God of the Bible. And so God says, I want to establish my name throughout the world. And we know from Scripture who God is. God is a loving and patient and kind God. But there also comes a time where God is a, has to make a tough call like this one. And say, these people have to go in order that I can establish my promises through these Israelites. And so that's what he does. But the Israelites aren't so obedient. They neglect the command of God to drive people out. They begin to intermarry with the people who already lived in the land. They begin to worship the gods that they worshiped. And exactly what God warned them would happen is what is happening. And without a prophet to lead them and without a king or without a king to lead them, either one, they have these judges that take the place and begin to lead the the people of God. So here's kind of the cycle. The cycle goes like this and throughout judges it gets worse. People cry out to God because they're being oppressed by other, other, pe- other people groups around them. They're feeling that oppression and they cry out to God and God says, okay, I will respond. You've got to get rid of these other gods. You've got to start following me and I will take care of you. And so God will send a judge and to look out for them and watch over them and make sure that they succeed on the battlefield and they have peace and prosperity at home. And then they would slowly begin to creep back into worshiping false gods. Begin to do all the things that they were doing before that got them into trouble. And then God would discipline them in order to draw them back to himself by allowing other nations to come in and overtake them. And then the people would cry out to God again. God help us. So that's the cycle. That's what takes place over and over again. And when God, wants, when God has heard the cries of his people and he's going to deliver them, he sends them a judge. And so Gideon is one of those judges. Here's one of the things that I really love about Scripture. I hope you see this when you read the Bible. Or if if you're not a big Bible reader, I hope you know this. You can trust me or, hey, don't trust me. Go read the Bible for yourself and you'll find the Bible is full of people who are heroes who are just ordinary people. They They are people like you and me. God can use people like you and me. Listen, I'm nothing special just because I'm up here in this world. It doesn't make me special, any more special to God than any of you in the pew. We are all human beings, fallen. We've got our faults. We're sinners. All of us. And the heroes of the Bible are no different. There is only one person in the Bible who was perfect, and that is Jesus. Everyone else falls short of God's standard, including Gideon, as we are going to see. Gideon is a human being just like us, and yet God can use him to do some pretty heroic things. I want you to hear this before we get into five lessons we can learn from Gideon. God wants to use you in your life, in your circles, in your circumstances, at your stage of life, whatever that may be. God wants to use you to do some mighty And maybe even some small things that may seem small to you, but they're important to him. He wants to use you. He can use you. Yes, you. Yes, you. Even Gideon. Now, speaking of Gideon, what do we learn from Gideon that I think can help us as we ask that question, God, how do you want to use us? I want to be open to how you want to use me in my life. 
Five lessons I think we can learn from Gideon. I'm sure there's more. But the first one is this. Is that fear is common in our lives. But they don't have to, it doesn't have to control our lives. Fear is common in our lives. But it does not have to control our lives. When God begins to press into you how He wants to use you in big and seemingly small ways, it would not be uncommon for you to experience a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation about that. I'm not so sure. Fear is common, but it does not have to control us. Gideon's story starts out with fear. You look at Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under that oak tree. And there is Gideon threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Remember I said the Israelites would worship false gods. God would send people into the land uh, to discipline them. Let other people take control of the land to discipline them. Well, those people that were doing that at this stage were the Midianites. And Gideon is fearful that if he takes uh, his, his wheat and threshes it out in an open uh, field or open, open area... All the chaff from that wheat that would float up would be seen by the Midianites. And the Midianites would come and take whatever he had. So he's kind of down in this almost cave-like hole, which was where they would press the wine, the grapes to make wine. He's down in there so that all that stuff, all that chaff wouldn't float up in the air and he wouldn't be seen. He could keep what he had. So Gideon's story starts out in fear. It actually continues in fear. We see a little bit later in the story, if you go look at chapter 6, verse 25, the Gideon is asked uh, to take, before he can lead the people to defeat the Midianites, they got to get rid of these false gods. And so God calls him to, to take care of the false gods. There's an altar to Baal. And there's an Asherah pole. We've talked about what those are before. We won't get into too much of that now. But basically both of these gods were false gods that they would worship to get prosperity. And he says, I want you to cut them down. And actually the name Gideon, that's literally what it means to cut or chop down. That's what his name means. So God is saying, just live out your name. Go do it. Cut it down. Before you can lead my people into victory against the Midianites, you've got to take care of this false god stuff first. In verse 27, we read that Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Gideon's story starts out in fear. He's even fearful as he is obeying God. Fear was common in his life, but it did not control his life. Do you see that promise here? This is good news. It means you don't have to wait until you are no longer fearful to fulfill God's call in your life. Which is really good news because most likely when you sense that call of God to do something for Him, big or small, you will also feel fear. That is common. Don't think something weird or strange is happening. No, that happens to all people almost, I would assume. Sure does to me. But that fear does not have to control you. And that's exactly what's happening in Gideon's life. Even as he is fearful of getting rid of these idols that his family worshipped. That his town people worshipped. Even as he did it in the cover of night, he was still able to fulfill God's call in his life. Even as he was experiencing fear. 
It was common, but it did not control him. That's the first lesson I think we can learn from Gideon when we, when we consider what God is calling us to do in our lives. The second thing is this. It's important for us to see God as, or see ourselves as God sees us. It's important for us to see ourselves as God sees us. Listen to what the angel of the Lord said to Gideon when he met him. Chapter 6, verse 12. Angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That angel of the Lord is representing God. He is there on God's behalf. So you can just as easily say these are God's words through this angel to this man, Gideon. And God's words through this angel to this man, Gideon, is you are a mighty warrior. But that is not how Gideon saw himself. How did Gideon see himself? We see a few verses later in verse 15. He says, uh, uh, pardon me, Lord. I love that. He's so just respectful. It's an angel of the Lord. So, you know, you got to be, that'd be a pretty fearful thing. You know, so sirs and ma'ams, you know, you got to bring all that stuff out. You got to be on your best behavior. You got to use your manners. He says, uh, pardon me, Lord. How can I save Israel? How can I be the guy that God uses to kick these Midianites Midianites out of here? I, I'm a part of the weakest clan in all of Manasseh. Now, Israel had 12 tribes, and each of those tribes had families and so on, right? Manasseh's one of those tribes. He says, listen, I'm, I'm the weakest in our whole tribe. And amongst those tribes, of which my family is a part... I'm the least in my family. I'm the least in my family. I'm the least in my tribe. This is how Gideon saw himself. God says you're a mighty warrior. Gideon says I'm the least and I'm the weakest. Now, who are you going to believe? Let me tell you, it's very hard to believe what God says about us when we have a narrative about ourselves. We will have a story about ourselves that is so strong it will control Our lives. But is that how God sees you? You got to know how you see yourself so you can compare it to how God sees you. But don't live the story you tell yourself. Live the story God is speaking over you. And God says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior here's the third thing and it leads out of the second thing i think kind of naturally you may say i'm glad god sees me as someone he can use now that's important some of the stuff you're going to tell yourself about yourself is true it is accurate but often you leave out god you don't see that what gideon should be seeing is i'm a mighty warrior in the lord This is one of the things the angel of the Lord says to him. I'm going to go with you. Who am I with God? I am a mighty warrior with God. So this is a very important thing that we have to factor in into how we see ourselves. It's not just how we see ourselves, but it's how we see ourselves in God. It's how God sees us and we see ourselves in him. And we may say, well, okay, so we get that perspective, but I don't often feel that. 
I struggle to feel that I am who God says that I am. And that I can do what God says in Him that I can do. I mentally agree with that. I logically can put that together. That makes sense. What God says is true. And what God can do, He can do even through me. I get all of that. But let me tell you, my heart's not following. My emotions aren't following that truth that I know. There's a gap between what's happening up here and what's happening in here. In these few inches, I've got a problem of communication. What do I do with that? This is another wonderful lesson I think we can learn from Gideon. The first is fear is common, but it doesn't have to control us. The second is it's very important for us to see who we are in God. See See ourselves as God sees us, not as we see ourselves. And the third one is it's okay to express your doubts to him. I think this is one of the most wonderful things about the story of Gideon is how patient God is with him. How kind it seems God is with Gideon. And what that tells me is it's okay for me to talk to God about that disconnect that I feel. God, you're calling me to do this. You're calling me to live this out. You want to do something in my life, big or small. And I'm just not sure. You can tell God that. You don't have to bottle that up. You don't have to keep it inside. You can talk to God about that. And He is not going to come back to you heavy-handed. Not just based on what I see in the life of Gideon, but what I see about God throughout the whole Bible. Is that he calls us to bring our weaknesses, to bring our doubts, particularly here our self-doubts. Where else are we going to go to get all that corrected? We've got to go to him. Now, where do we see that? First thing that happens, and I kind of respect Gideon for this, because he said some kind of tough things to this angel of the Lord. He says, look. You say that God is with us, but chapter 6, verse 13, Gideon says, if he's with us, why is all this stuff happening to us? Now, of course, he's wrong. The Midianites conquered them because they're worshiping false gods. It's their fault. But he was willing to take that, take that concern in his heart and bring it to God because where else will it get corrected? Right? He had the courage to do that, to express his doubts. To this angel who represents God. He says, where were you? Where have you been? Where's the Lord been? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midianites. Yes, he's wrong. But where is his wrong thinking going to get corrected if he doesn't talk to God about it? You can't express your doubts to God. The angel does not smite him. He doesn't just turn into a pile of dust before him. God is incredibly patient with him. He says, Gideon says, I'm just not sure about this. I have doubts. Can you help me with these doubts? He says, I need a sign. How many of you this morning have asked for a sign from God? Come on, put your hand up. How many of you asked for a sign for God? You know you have. We've all done it. We've all done it. Gideon says, I need a sign, God. Show me. Show me. 
God gives him several signs. First one is this. Gideon goes and makes a, a meal to prepare for the angel. And the angel sacrifices that meal on a rock. He makes the rock, he makes fire burst forth from the rock and consume the meal. Now this, the fire bursting from the rock is the sign, right? But that's not enough. Later, Gideon will say towards the end of chapter 6, in verse, picking up between verse 34 and 40. He says, okay, God, if, if you really will save Israel by my hand, verse 36, look, I'm going to place a wool fleece at the, threshing, at the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece, only on the fleece, and all the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. Verse 38, that's what happened. He said, I need another sign. The meal that I gave the angel, consumed by fire that shoots up from the rock, sign number one. He says, I need more signs. I, I'm struggling with doubt here, God. Show me another sign. I'm going to put this fleece out. It's a piece of wool. If it's wet and the ground around it is dry, that'll be my sign. And it happens. Gideon rose up the next day and squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then, verse 39, Gideon says to God, Please, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and the ground around it wet. Now, what would you do if you were God? You know, you're really pressing your luck here, Gideon. Come on. Come on. Fire from a rock, that should have been enough. We did the fleece thing already. You're pushing your luck. But God's not me, thankfully. Thank goodness God is not like me. God is patient with Gideon. Patient with his doubts. So, okay. That night, verse 40, God did so. Only this time the fleece was dry and all the ground around it was covered in dew. When we consider that God is calling us to do something, big or small, but significant nonetheless, it is common that we will feel fear, but that fear does not have to control us. It is important that we don't look at ourselves the way we look at ourselves, but we see ourselves the way God sees us. Lesson number two. The third lesson that I think is so important is that it's okay to express your doubts to God. I don't know if I can do this, God. I don't know if I can do this. Now, let me say this, all right? I'm not saying asking for a sign from God is a good way to live out your spiritual life. Nowhere in here is Gideon told, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do that. I, I don't know if you should ask for a sign from God or not. To be honest with you, I've wrestled with that. I've thought about that. I was like, is that a good thing? Is that not such a good thing? I don't know. But here's the principle I do know. God is patient with us in our doubts. So you can talk to him about it. That's the third lesson. Fourth lesson. We're getting close, y'all. Hang in there. Fourth lesson. The fourth lesson we find in the life of Gideon is that as God is calling us to live out whatever it is He has placed before us, the challenge is to obey, even when it doesn't make sense. Has God ever asked you to do something that in your human thinking did not make sense? I got to tell you, He sure has with me. God, I don't see it. I don't see how this is going to work out well. This makes no logical sense to me. If you just give me five minutes, I could explain a much better plan. 
Let me just draw it out for you, Lord. I mean, obviously, this is the, this is the better way to go. It's very clear to me. I don't know how you don't see it, to be honest with you. We've all been there where, where God asks us to do something. That something may be as simple as wait. You're jumping at the gun to get going to do this or do that. And God says, wait. Or you may be that person that God says, you need to go. And you're saying, well, I'm not ready yet. I've got 10 things to do to prepare myself before I take that step. And God says, no, 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 just go. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, there's times where God says to you, obey and obedience just doesn't make human sense. I don't see how this is going to end well. And that is going to happen in your life over and over again. That's not a strange thing. We see it happening in the life of Gideon. Gideon has come to a place where he is trusting God enough to go in and to battle the Midianites and expel them from the promised land. He's ready to do that. He's got 32,000 troops to do just that. And God says, you know, you got too many troops. Now, let me tell you something. Nobody in the history of battle, I can imagine, would ever say, you know what, we've got too many troops. That, that doesn't make human sense. Human sense is you get as many troops as possible without jeopardizing things back home. They can march into battle. That's what you want. That's like having too many funds. That doesn't make sense. I got too much in my bank account. What am I going to do? No. That's human thinking, though. God says, you know what? If you march into battle with 32,000 and you rout the Midianites, you know what everybody's going to say? That Gideon and those soldiers, man, they were something. You know what they're going to miss? They're going to miss the bigger picture. Now, that may seem like an ego trip for God, to God, for God to want the glory from the battle, but it's not. Listen, hear me. If Gideon goes in with 32,000 and Gideon is seen as uh, their great warrior and these troops as their great heroes, what happens when they die? Hope is lost, right? But if they know it's God that delivered them, it doesn't matter who's in charge. If God's in charge, the human leaders will follow suit. It'll be fine. We'll be good. God knows this. He says, 32,000, you got too many. Here's what I want you to do. Go tell them, hey, if this is making you nervous to go into battle, you can go home. It's okay. You know how many turn back? A lot of them. <laughs> uh, Gideon is left with a third of his troops. It goes from 32,000 down to 10,000. And God says, again, that's too many. We need to narrow this down again. Nowhere do we hear Gideon protesting. You know what I think has happened in Gideon's life? He's come to a point where he really trusts God. For all the arguing he did early on, I think he's come to a point where he does trust God. And so you don't see him pushing back anymore. He says, okay. So he does this weird little test, takes him down to the river. And God says, okay, let him go. have that 10,000 troops go Go drink out of the river. Those who, who bend down into the river and drink it like a dog out of a bowl, you know, separate those out from those who scoop it up and drink it out of their hands. 300 of them drank from cupped hands. The rest got down on their knees and drank from the water. Now, so that's 9,700 over here and 300 over here. Now, human thinking says... 
Okay, well, glad we got rid of those 300, Lord. Now we got 9,700 to go into battle. That seems like a decent enough number, but that's not what God does. See, God will call us to be obedient when it doesn't make sense in our little brains. But who knows more? You or God. I'm I'm just telling you what I got to tell myself sometimes. God, it seems like it should go this way. God, this makes sense to me. God, I think there's a better plan. But at the end of the day, I've got to say, but you're God. I'm not. In the words of the Bible, your ways are higher than mine. So I've got to trust God enough to obey God when his plan doesn't exactly make sense in my little brain. So he ends up taking the 300. That's what God says. Take the 300 and they have victory in the battle. Now, one last lesson. Should we recount the ones we've covered so far? I've got to turn back in my notes to get them. First one is fear is common, but it does not have to control us. The second one is it's important for us to see how God sees us. The third is it's okay to express our doubts to God. The fourth is obey God even when it doesn't make sense. And the fifth lesson I think we can learn from Gideon when it comes to fulfilling God's call in our life, whether it's big stuff or small stuff, however we may define it. The fifth and final lesson is when you have a little success, watch out. God knew what he was doing when he said, we got to call this army down. Because he knows human nature. And human nature is to take credit for things. We may have a lot of self-doubt on this end, but once we get a little success, well, look at me now. Right? That's kind of human nature. We all kind of will fall into that. When we get a little success, Satan sees an opportunity. And that's exactly what happens in Gideon's life. After all the progress he made, after all the obedience he showed... Through all the struggle, they have victory. And they say, Gideon, you're the man. You can have anything you want. And Gideon says, well, you know what? You know, all these folks, they got these uh, nice golden rings. I'll take those golden rings. That's all I want. I just want a bunch of, gold, bunch of these golden rings. He gets about 43 pounds of gold. He takes them. He melts them down into a, an ephod, which is like a breastplate kind of thing. And that ephod becomes an object of worship. Can you believe it? In chapter 7 of Judges, we read, Gideon made the gold that he got from these rings, he melted it down, made it into an ephod, that breastplate kind of thing, which he placed in Oprah, his town. And all of Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. If you're willing to work through all of this stuff, God will give you success in him. And it's at that point the enemy sees an opportunity. The enemy will attack even as God is at work. Even as God is bringing victory, the enemy will double his efforts. And just as he experiences great highs on the battlefield, and now there's going to be this blight, this ugly low of worshiping this golden chess piece. Now, here's what Jesus tells us in John 10, 10. And this is where it all starts. And this is a great promise. And this is what I hope you will leave here thinking about. Because Jesus says in John 10, 10, that there is an enemy and he comes to steal and kill and destroy. I believe that 100%. There is spiritual warfare that takes place in our lives. We have an enemy, Jesus says. 
who is out to steal and kill and destroy. We have to be aware of that. Especially at that moment of victory. Especially that moment of a great high in our spiritual lives. What will come next often is an attack from the enemy. He knows that there's something vulnerable about basking in the joy of success and he sees an opportunity. And so we have to be very careful in that moment. Jesus gives us this promise though. He says, yes, the enemy's out to do those things, still kill and destroy. But, see, I have come to give you a full life. That's how, that's how that verse ends, John 10, 10. I have come that you may have a full life. What an incredible promise from Jesus. Let me tell you, he earned that full life for us. He purchased it for us. He bought it for us. How did he purchase? How did he buy a full life on our behalf? He went to the cross. Because you know what's not a full life? A full life is stuck in sin. A full life is hell for eternity. That's, a full, or that's an empty life. That's an empty life. The full life that Jesus purchased for us took care of that. Took care of Sin took care of hell forever. That is the great news we have in Jesus. So even as the enemy comes at us, we have this promise. God is calling me to something. And even as the enemy attacks, I know Jesus in him. I have a full life. And anyone here today who says, I trust Jesus to give me that full life. I trust Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I trust Jesus to earn for me a place in heaven. If you do that... You are entering into the first steps of the full life that Jesus has promised for you. And we praise God for that. We thank God for that. No enemy, not even Satan, as strong as he can be, no enemy can take that away. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this chance for us to be together today, especially on this beautiful day, this Mother's Day, to celebrate the gift of mothers and also to ask ourselves, God, what does it look like for us to live out the call that you have placed on us? I pray the story of Gideon has encouraged us in that, challenged us in that. And that if there's some areas in which we need to be paying attention to in our lives, you would show us that. Because you call us to a life of significance. You call us to a full life in Jesus. You want us to have that. And there are many things that can get in the way. So help us, Father, learn from Gideon. And we might not let those things get in the way. And we might enjoy the full life that Jesus has promised. What he's earned for us on the cross. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.